It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Three days until the draft PFT PM Podcast. Conversation coming up with Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins. The guy who I really do believe would be in the conversation for the number one overall pick, but Kyler Murray has kind of eaten up all of the oxygen in the room and making and has made Haskins not nearly the guy that that we would be talking about, not the guy who would be getting the kind of buzz that that maybe he should be or could be. All right, let's get to some of the things that are happening in the National Football League. I see that that Ian Rappaport is pushing this idea. I want to make sure I word this properly. And I guess this dovetails with that goofy story from the other day that the Raiders sent their area scouts home. The Raiders pick at number four could be a big surprise based on the views of some who won't be there to witness it. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm assuming that he's talking about the area scouts who were sent home. Now they're blabbing. The guys who weren't trusted by the Raiders to continue to be employed and present within the Raiders facility are now blabbing that there could be some sort of a big surprise. I don't know what the surprise would be. And if it's a surprise, I mean, I guess there's a chance that someone could leapfrog them and do the same thing. I just think this is hype. I think this is hype. I think this is an effort to try to breathe some life into a Raiders draft that needs as much as it can, even with three first round picks. So who knows? what the Raiders pick at number four is going to be. That implies they're standing pat at number four. But I I don't envision the Raiders' views being so far out of the mainstream that, that they would do something like that, although it is classic Al Davis Raiders if they would do it because that was the kind of surprise, that was the kind of stuff we used to see all the time, somebody that we just don't expect, somebody who is unconventional. But when you do that, you are putting even more eggs in the basket that that person is going to work out. Because if you surprise everyone and that person ends up being a bust, then you look like a complete idiot. That's why there's something to be said for making conventional picks, because there are inevitable busts. And when a bust happens, at least you can say it was a conventional pick that it's what anyone else would have done, at least within it's in within the realm of, of reasonable thought that you did uh, the thing that, that anyone else would have done in that spot. So we'll see what happens there. Washington apparently could still draft a quarterback, Doug Williams, the team's GM, not Scott McLuhan. Doug Williams, the team's GM, has said that. And I say that snarkily because there was a an item last week, I think it was on USA Today, where... Someone was listing the most 11 relevant GMs of the 2019 draft, and that person had Scott McLuhan listed as the Washington GM, which was true more than two years ago, but it's not true now. Doug Williams is the guy who's calling the shots there as senior VP of player personnel, although ultimately it's Bruce Allen, the president of the Washington franchise, that makes those calls. And even with Case Keenum, even with Colt McCoy, it could be that Washington goes for a quarterback that would be groomed behind one of them. Maybe one of them would be traded just because they have both McCoy and Keenum and just added Keenum a month ago via trade. Doesn't mean that, that there would be definitely a keep all three type of a situation, keep both veterans type of a, of a deal. 
Jets not interested in Frank Clark. That's a guy whose name is circulating as a potential trade target. And with the Chiefs linked to Frank Clark, remember when Frank Clark got drafted? It was the first draft after Ray Rice. And there was some sort of an issue with allegations involving potential violence against a female, and the Seahawks took a ton of heat for that at the time. And once Clark became a a great player a couple of years after the fact, we had forgotten about it. But boy, for the Chiefs, between Tyree Kill and Kareem Hunt, that would be a hell of a risk for them to take because they would get ripped for that if they gave up whatever it is that the Seahawks are looking for. And it would be odd to see the Chiefs having traded away D. Ford, bringing in Frank Clark. They trade away D. Ford, franchise tag player, for a second round pick, and then they would bring in Frank Clark, who reportedly the Seahawks want a first round pick for. It would just be odd if that would happen. But uh, the Chiefs, regarded by some as the front runner, I would just be very, very surprised if that's what would occur. Plenty of other things happening as the draft approaches. We did a thing on PFTOT of what may happen with each of the first five picks, what we think is going to happen. And the one thing I want to emphasize here, Kyler Murray is going to know whether or not he's the first overall pick. I know there's this pushback now by some that maybe Murray won't be the guy. I guess because it's draft week, so there has to be some dramatic change because it's draft week. We've settled on Kyler Murray for a long time now. It feels like that's where the Cardinals are going to go. Wherever they do go, Murray will know because Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury will tell Murray's agent, Eric Burkhart, what the Cardinals are going to do because Burkhart is always already Kingsbury's agent. And remember what Burkhart did for Kingsbury. Negotiated a contract with USC that allowed Kingsbury to leave USC prematurely, very prematurely, like a month after getting there with a $150,000 buyout. So Kingsbury owes it to Burkhart to be straight with him. And Burkhart will know what the Cardinals are going to do. Murray will know what the Cardinals are going to do. And if Murray decides not to go to the draft, if that is the surprise report that we hear, that he's had second thoughts and he wants to be with his family and he wants to do this, wants to do that, that will mean that Murray's not going to be the first overall pick. Until that happens, I expect Murray to be the first overall pick. Because I don't see Murray walking right into that punch of embarrassment that he would not be the first overall pick unless it becomes widely reported and accepted that he won't be the first overall pick before we get to the point where Murray would have to cancel his travel plans. Now, on that point, I did Pat McAfee's podcast today and he asked me, who I believe, who I listen to, who I have faith in this time of year. And I really don't believe anyone from any teams per se, because there's always an angle. Even if someone from a team is commenting on a player who plays a position that they have under control for the next 15 years, like quarterback, I'm always skeptical about what that person says about quarterbacks, because that person would presumably benefit from a run on quarterbacks. Now, if that person who would benefit from a run on quarterbacks because it would push down the board players that that person would otherwise want, and that person doesn't want a quarterback because that person has a quarterback who is firmly entrenched. If that person would say there won't be a run on quarterbacks, then that's credible. I mean, I factor in the bias, and if what I'm being told runs counter to where I think the bias is, then I view that as credible. But for me, I hope that made sense. It gave me a little bit of a headache. Not much, but just just a little bit. My point is this. There's one very small group of people who I do trust 
this time of year. And it is a small group of agents who shall remain nameless, who I believe are very plugged in when it comes to understanding how the board is going to play out because, and I'm not saying every agent does this, but the smart agents know where their clients are going to be drafted because you have to be able to properly gauge your client's expectations. And you have to be able to say to them, look, here's your floor, here's your ceiling. And the floor is more important than the ceiling. If he comes in higher than the ceiling, great, great. But if he comes in lower than the floor, then that's on you. And that's when you potentially get fired. If there is a grossly underperforming selection like Geno Smith, who at one point was a top five pick back in, what was it? 2012 and ended up, not being taken in round one at all, and he changed his agents right away, that's what gets you fired. You have to have good intelligence, and you have to have the right relationships, and you have to have people who will understand. They have to give you true and accurate information so that you can properly tell your clients what's going on. And I think of that here because Eric Burkhardt is going to have access to the ultimate up or down proposition. Will the Cardinals take or not take Kyler Murray? Burkhart will know, Murray will know, and if Murray goes to the draft, that tells me that Murray will be the first overall pick. Barring a shock, barring the kind of thing that could get Burkhart fired. Tom Coughlin was asked today about comments from last week that caught the NFL Players Association's attention, got them to remind everyone that voluntary, as it's mean within the confines, as it's used within the confines of the CBA, means voluntary as it's used within any other setting. Coughlin said, there's no need for me to speak any further on that. That's his way of saying, I know I stepped in shit and I'm not going to move my foot around in it. I'm just going to keep moving and not look back. And that's the smart play. There's no reason for him to say anything else. He crossed that line, created an issue, and we'll see whether or not the NFL Players Association does anything about it. Story earlier today from Sporting News that Peyton Manning won't be joining Monday Night Football, barring a miracle. Doesn't surprise me. He doesn't want to comment on Eli. Eli's due to play in a couple of Monday Night Football games this week. So it makes plenty of sense that Peyton Manning wouldn't want to do it. I think at some point he would be inclined to do it. I know that there's an indication that he would like to get into ownership at some point. Well, fine, but those opportunities don't pop up every year. And I don't think it's any ownership. You want to get into the right ownership group. You want to go join an ownership group that would let you essentially run the show, even though you're not going to be the alpha dog from a money standpoint. I don't care how much money Peyton Manning has. He doesn't have enough to own the minimum percentage to be the controlling owner of a team. So what he needs to do is find someone who would be the controlling owner in name, but let Manning control everything. And that may not be easy to do. And until that opportunity arises, why not be in that catbird seat of Monday Night Football? Then you become desired. Then you become attractive. You become somebody that may be an owner out there who wants to be the money person, wants to own the controlling share, but doesn't necessarily want to wield that power. That's what you can end up being if that's what you ultimately want to do. I mean, he's only 43. He's got plenty of time that he can do both. And I think once Eli is retired, then that door is open for Peyton Manning to do something when it comes to joining the the broadcast booth at ESPN. And, and remember, his relationship with ESPN deepening this year 
as it relates to him doing more work for that ESPN Plus thing that he does. Someone sent to me an item, and I haven't fully investigated this. I saw this earlier, that Nick Bosa pressed the like button on an Instagram post that uses a racial slur and a gay slur. And, you know, this gets into the concern that popped up last weekend after Nick Bosa said he was done with political commentary supporting the president because he may may end up in San Francisco. And the concern being uh, posed that maybe what he's really concerned about is any locker room that he's going to have to find a way to exist in. And that if he's got that, that not just political view, but something so extreme that it gets into this white national type of a view, that's when he's going to potentially have a problem. And, and who knows, right? I mean, people accidentally like things all the time on social media. I don't know how it works on Instagram. I don't use Instagram very often, but if you're all thumbs, you can hit a button, but why are you even looking at those posts? And why is your thumb even hovering near the little heart button? And, you know, ultimately you're responsible for whatever you hit. And he's responsible for it. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what that does and whether or not that causes the 49ers to shy away from him at number two. I continue to think they're seriously considering Quinn and Williams because of the potential that he could be another Aaron Donald. So uh, that's what's happening three days away from the draft. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to let you hear what we heard earlier today from Dwayne Haskins, who who would be, I think, in the mix for the first overall pick in the draft, but for Kyler Murray. I like Dwayne Haskins. I like what he can do. I think some of the criticism is overblown. I think it was a mistake for him to run the 40-yard dash at the scouting combine, and then it was a mistake not to follow through on his plan to run it at the pro day. That just gives people who want to point at his lack of mobility, his perceived lack of mobility, ammunition, even though it ultimately doesn't matter. He's mobile enough. Before we play the Dwayne Haskins interview, let me tell you that you should also be shopping at O'Reilly Auto Parts. They have thousands of parts and accessories in stock. Brands you trust, like Wagner Brakes, Monroe Shock, Superstart Batteries, Wix Filters, and more. They can even get those hard-to-find parts, most with free overnight delivery. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. So, as promised, conversation, roughly 14 minutes or so, with Ohio State quarterback and Heisman finalist, Dwayne Haskins. Our next guest accounted for 50 passing touchdowns last year for the Ohio State University Buckeyes, and he is destined to be only the third first-round quarterback ever to come out of Ohio State. He's Dwayne Haskins. He joins us now. Dwayne, how are you, buddy? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, did you have more touchdowns last year or helmet stickers? I think I have more helmet stickers, actually. (laughs) How many helmet stickers did you have? I had my helmet full. I, it was so full I couldn't even get any more stickers on it by like by Northwestern game. It was full up. What do you get them for? How, how what's the formula for getting a Buckeye on your helmet? Buckeye leaves. You get a Buckeye leave for making a big play, scoring a touchdown, getting a sack, and a fumble, uh, first downs, uh, stuff like that. When do you guys find out how many Buckeyes you get from the prior game? Uh, Monday, not Monday. Uh, Tuesday's practice. After Tuesday's practice, we get it. Do you have an idea of how many you're going to get, or is it, you know, the final ruling comes from the coaching staff? They come from the coaching staff, but usually I get about 10-plus a game, so I, I get a lot of Buckeye leads. Now, what kind of competition is there among the players as to who gets the most stickers? It was me and Bosa before he got hurt as far as who can get the most every week. 
And then after that, I would meet Terry. So those are the two guys I was going back and forth with throughout the season. Did, did, you, did you end up with the most? Yeah, I had the most at the end of the season. Yeah, I had the most. Hey, um, I, I, I watched your highlights. It took a long time to watch highlights of every touchdown pass from last year. If I told you a year ago you were going to have that kind of production when it comes to touchdowns in your first full year and only full year as a starter, what would your reaction have been? I would believe you, definitely. I thought that uh, before the season, actually, we talked about the records at Ohio State, and uh, I wanted to go break that, but I didn't know I was going to break the Big Ten record, so that's pretty cool. Draft night, you're going to be bowling. Are you actually going to bowl, or is it just the party is at the bowling alley? No, I'm going to be bowling, for sure. Yeah. What kind of bowling game do you have? How many how many Buckeye lease would you get for your bowling game? Uh, not a lot. <laughs> I'm not a great bowler. <laughs> uh, pretty decent. Uh you know, I get the job done. Uh, I feel like I do do enough to help out. What's your best game? Best game? Uh, I feel like football, of course, but uh, well, pretty no, no, good no, at I mean your, best, your highest yeah. score. Your highest score. On oh, highest score? Oh, yeah. highest score. I would say I had like a good day with like 160, 165. That was my part of my best oh, goal. Hey, game. you know, you know, we 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 would we would actually we would actually have a good competition. That may be the yeah. only thing I'd have a chance at competing with you in because that's about <laughs> that's my best. If I if I could just get yeah. in that zone, you know, you know that feeling when you're just in that zone, and it, it happens right, rarely no. for me. But yeah, yeah, beyond that, I I heard you mention Madden. You play a lot of Madden. Oh, that's how I that's why I learned football growing up as Madden. Yep. Now. Uh, guys have told me in the past that they'll spend a little time before the draft creating themselves and putting themselves in different uniforms to see how it looks. Has Dwayne Haskins done that yet? I've done it as a kid. I've not done it recently. No, I should actually try that when I get home after this. I'm going to go try that. What, when, when you did it as a kid, what uniform looked the best? <laughs> uh, a lot of them, all of them look great. I don't, I don't know which one looked best. Uh, I always had the visor and the towel and the, and the spats. And, you know, I, I just I tried every team actually growing up just because uh, I would play franchise mode and I will just, just draft a whole bunch of players. And, and that was fun for me. Well, a lot of the uniforms have changed, so you do need to update it and get a new look because right. Nike got involved and, and it seems like everybody's gotten a new uniform. One team that hasn't gotten a new uniform yet, the New York Giants, you've been linked to them and you seem to embrace that talk of possibly playing for the Giants. Yeah, definitely. Uh, being a Jersey kid, uh, possibly being a New York Giant would be a dream come true for me. And, uh, you know, uh, be able to be a part of that process, even be considered by New York, this is crazy, for sure. Uh, now, I'm definitely excited about possibly being a New York Giant. One thing the Giants have talked openly about is what they call the Kansas City model, a reference to when the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes. They had Alex Smith for a full year. Mahomes learned behind him and then started to play the following year. What would your preference be, to play right away as a rookie or to have that year where you could sit and study someone else, learn the ropes, and then be ready to go in your second season? Yeah, whatever, whatever team I go to, I just be ready to play, whether that's year one or year two. And um, I don't have a preference whether that's playing right away or, or playing uh, a year two or year three. I just want to be the best quarterback I can be for that franchise. And Patrick Mahomes definitely did a great job learning. And I learned from JT my first two years at Ohio State, so it isn't foreign nature for me. So I'll be I'll be comfortable with either or. Best thing about draft week for you is the visits are over, the questions are over. You can just focus on what's to come. What's the question you got the most during that pre-draft process from teams? The question I got 
most as if I was ready to, to make that jump to be an NFL quarterback, only having one year in college. And that was probably the question I get asked the most throughout the process. What was the answer you gave? Just that um, I felt like as each game went on during the season, I got better. Uh, I felt like I got more comfortable in my offense and uh, had a great season. So I feel like my best friend falls in front of me and I'm only going to get better. What kind of criticism have you heard in the questions you get from teams about your game? And they may not be direct about it, but you get a feel for, you know, maybe they're poking at something or, or bringing something up about a weakness that they think needs to be addressed. Every team that I meet with, they always ask me about uh, my experience and uh, whether that would be a handicap for me or whether that would be used for me to, to get better at. Um, every, team that I, every team that I meet with, we watch film and, I don't get questions asked about weaknesses much, so we just ask what we what we see on the field and uh, what what um what I see in protections and coverages and things like that. So uh, they all they all know I'm young and I have a lot of room to grow. So uh, they definitely have shown a lot of interest all the people that I met with. Hey, Dwayne, how close of a question was it for you to decide to leave Ohio State and enter the draft? Uh, it was a hard decision for sure for me to be able to to make that final decision of leaving. Um, always wanted to be in the NFL, but Ohio State's a place that I've grown up loving and uh, always wanted to be a part of and, and talked to my parents about it. The opportunity was too great for me to not leave for the NFL. and It was a hard decision to make, but you know, I prayed about it. And the best That was probably the best decision for me at the time. How much does it bug you to hear questions about your mobility? Because I saw some plays against Northwestern that suggest a high degree of escapability and agility in the pocket. When you hear criticisms of your ability to move with the ball, what do you say? I say watch the Northwestern game, watch the Maryland game. Uh, you know, my game is to win from the pocket, but I'm not an oak tree by any means. I can move if I need to. I wore a knee brace during the season, which I hated because it made me feel very uh, limited in my mobility. But uh, I won't be wearing one in the NFL. So, I mean, the biggest thing for me is just whatever it takes to win is what I want to do to win. And uh, whether that's uh, making a play or throwing from, from the pocket, I can do it at a high level. The knee brace, was that a precautionary thing? You had an injury you were trying to rehab or something? I mean, because a lot of quarterbacks will wear that knee brace even if they're perfectly healthy as, as, a, as a safety precaution. Walk me through why you wore it and why you're not going to be wearing it. I wore it as a healthy uh, for safety, for, for health precautions, because I didn't want to get hurt. Um, Coach Day made sure I wore it. But then I was in practice, a walkthroughs, and T-shirts. I wore a knee brace all the time just because uh, he didn't want me to get hurt during the season. But you've already made the decision going forward. You're going to shed that knee brace at the next level. Yeah, I'm going to shed it. I'll probably wear something smaller or something uh, just to be able to help versus injury. But I won't be wearing the big bulky one anymore for sure. What's your best throw? My best throw, I would, I would say my, my deep ball. I think like uh, I think I know that that's probably my favorite throw uh, to throw, whether that's a deep post or a deep go route and. I just feel like I have a great understanding of how fast the guys are running, where the defensive back is, where the ball needs to land at. And I just, the, the time it gets its patient and the placement of the ball, something I, I have a lot of fun with with the deep ball. Let me flip it over. Give me a throw you're working on in an effort to get better at it at the next level. The one you're working on the most. Yeah, not necessarily a, a particular throw. The biggest thing I work on the most is uh, being able to move off a spot and still throw accurately. So uh, that's what I'm working on the most. As far as moving to my left, uh, I felt like I did a great job to the season moving to my right and still throwing right, but uh, being able to move to my left and then throw across my body is something I work on the most. Do you feel your accuracy improve when you're on the move? 
I feel like I throw great on the run and um, definitely to the right, to my left. Uh, but uh, either either or, I feel like I can throw from anywhere on the field. So I pride myself on being able to throw on the run and throw in the pocket. Is there a quarterback you model your game after? Uh, Steve McNair, Warren Boone, a lot of other quarterbacks in the NFL, like Brady, uh, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, a lot of guys. Now, I've heard you say that you're not necessarily competing with any other quarterbacks in this draft class, but my, my assessment is if Kyler Murray had picked baseball or had decided to stay at Oklahoma, you'd be the guy that we'd be talking about as the potential first overall pick. Does it bug you that you're not getting that kind of buzz, the kind of buzz that Kyler Murray's getting as the draft approaches? No, I'm getting out of the hype. I'm all about substance. And I don't really care about me being first overall or very second overall. Uh, I just want to be in a position where the team wants me, and I want to be there. I want a whole bunch of football games. And you know, the big thing about me is that uh, I'm going to put my head down and work, and uh, I'm just looking for this opportunity to be a part of the NFL. You know, you initially decided to go to the University of Maryland. You changed your mind and went to Ohio State. And I ask all that not to dig up the past, but the difference now is you don't get to pick. Do you wish at some level you got to pick where you were going to go next? Uh, sure, but, you know, that's the fun thing about the draft is someone gets to pick you. That's the excitement about it. But uh, I wouldn't change anything for the world. I just want to you know, be able to get this night over with and get back to work. Do you have a little list in your back pocket of one, two, three, four teams maybe you're hoping are the ones that call you up? Uh, the teams I've shown interest in me are teams that I, I think are going to pick me. So <laughs> I'll have a short list or a piece of paper in my pocket of who I, who I want. I just want to get drafted. That's all I care about. Who, who has shown the most interest in Dwayne Haskins? A lot of teams. Um, well, the Raiders, the Redskins, uh, Broncos, Dolphins, and uh, the Giants. Uh, those are the teams that show the most interest in me. Is it more important to you to be drafted as high as possible or to land in the perfect spot where your career is going to thrive? Perfect spot where, where my career is going to thrive. A lot of my former Ohio State teammates said that it's not about how early you land, it's about where you land. And I just want to be in a position where I can be a franchise quarterback for that team for the years to come and be a part of a, a team that you know I feel like I can leave a legacy with. And you know Whatever team picks me, I'm going to do the best I can do to leave that legacy. You recently put this on Twitter. Don't overthink it. Trust me. What, what did you mean by that? Was that football related? Uh, possibly. I forgot why I said that, honestly. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and definitely, uh, this, this, this process is a lot of outside noise, a lot of uh, second guessing. And, uh, you know, if you want somebody that's going to help you with football games, I, I won't overthink it. I'll just, just trust it. Hey, you know, it's good advice for Thursday night when you're lining up the bowl, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. This is trust that trust that bull, man. All right, tell us what you have going on with Old Spice. Yeah, so I'm doing a partnership with Old Spice, and uh, we're doing a great thing with the uh, with the moisturizing collection and all new for all new fresher collection with real benefits and uh, real ingredients, and uh, to be able to have uh, moisturizing with shea butter and real lavender and body wash, and you can pick this up at Walmart. Uh, it's been a great partnership for me and being able to be a part of Old Spice. Uh, uh, love the love the love their their product and it's definitely something I look forward to using the rest of my career. Hey, you know, something I mentioned earlier, Dwayne, and then I'll let you run, you will be only the third quarterback in Ohio State history to be a first-rounder, and it has been a long time, 30-plus years, since the last first-round quarterback out of Ohio State. D does that have extra meaning for you and for the program? Definitely. Uh, I'll be the first quarterback picking the Big Ten first round since 1995 with Kerry Collins. So that's just crazy to me. I feel like Ohio State has a great, great amount of talent at every position, and I'm just looking forward to being that guy 
to be picked in the first round and, and be a great quarterback in NFL uh, and uh, leave that legacy for Ohio State. So looking forward to being a quarterback in the NFL. Most well, Dwayne, I'll tell you, we think you have all the tools and we're rooting for you. Congratulations on everything you've accomplished in your one year as a starter with Ohio State. We're looking forward to 10, 15 or more years as a starter at the NFL level. And we wish you all the best on Thursday and beyond. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I look forward to it. All right, thanks to Dwayne Haskins. Thanks to our friends at Old Spice for making him available. Let's answer some of your questions. Not an overabundance today, which is good because I always feel guilty when I don't answer all the questions. PFTPM Posse. The NFL did nothing to Tom Coughlin last year for violating the CBA. Players who came early for physicals didn't get their time back, and teams seemed to slip up, often discussing OTAs by saying or heavily implying they're mandatory. Why should we expect anything different? What well, was two years ago, when Coughlin had players show up early for physicals and also wanted to start the offseason program earlier than allowed. Ultimately, the NFLPA said you can't. And I don't know what ultimately comes of this with Coughlin saying that players should be there, making it clear that the voluntary workouts aren't voluntary. But let me just remind everyone of a point that I made last week. I wrote something about it over the weekend. I think that we all know that voluntary workouts really aren't voluntary, that the vast majority of players show up. And I had the idea last week, and it was either on 420 or the day after, I think it was the day after 420, that I suggested that the NFL offer ending the ban on marijuana use, which most players know how to navigate around that ban by not smoking from the middle of March until they have their one per year urine test that falls anywhere between 420, ironically, and August 8, and I know a lot of those players would just as soon have their, their unannounced random substance abuse test early so they can continue to smoke, that, that they know how to beat it, so why not just end the prohibition on marijuana use and in exchange end the practice of voluntary workouts, make all or most of them mandatory because they're treated that way anyway. Why not just make that the trade-off? It seems too easy to not do it. It makes too much sense to not do it. And usually when something makes a lot of sense, it doesn't happen. So look, the, the I remember years ago in the off-season workouts that are supposed to be non-contact, contact was rampant. And there were teams that were investigated for that. And that's happened recently as well. It happened with the Seahawks. I think a couple of other teams taking liberties with what's allowed when it comes to non-contact workouts, voluntary or otherwise, but that's another area to watch. That That's not going away, and that is something that needs to be policed. I don't, I don't think that that is something that should go away in the CBA. I should be more accurate. The idea that workouts are voluntary because, as a practical matter, they're not for most players, I think that would be a great and fertile ground for a swap as it relates to getting rid entirely of the prohibition against marijuana use. Next one from PFTPM Policy. How does the NFLPA ever know if the owners are in violation of the CBA on how they split revenue because the owners never open their books? We all know how easy you can manipulate financials, ratios, et cetera, and uh, there are dust-ups between players and owners over accounting tricks. There have been issues with accounting tricks, and the NFL has been busted in the past making some very specious arguments about about why they've done what they've done and how they classify certain things. And that's why it requires a trust but verify approach between the NFL and the NFL Players Association. And the NFLPA does have access to enough financial information that it can confirm 
that the money is being properly divided, that credits are being used for things that are proper. I think that's what it was a few years ago. When the NFLPA caught the NFL with its hand in the cookie jar, making credits for expenses that should have just fallen under what the normal expenses are that would be paid for by the half of the money that the owners get. See, if you can shift some of those expenses to above-the-line deductions where you take that money off the top, then you save a ton of money because you are paying those expenses before you split with the the players, whatever is left over. I think something like that was going on, and they got busted. It was one of those things where they had an arbitration, and the arbitrator ruled from the bench that the NFLPA won. That's how clear it was. Didn't even take it under advisement. And, and that created some tension between the NFL and the NFL Players Association, but I think it's important to be very vigilant and take advantage of all avenues available to inspect the books and to check. whether. And, and I think this is important in any union labor relationship, and especially in this one. Watch practice film to see if non-contact workouts are crossing the line. Watch practice film of regular padded practices. Make sure they're not more intense than the rules allow. Make sure that no one is conducting more practices than allowed and engaging in activities that aren't allowed. I think it's important to have that healthy dose of skepticism if you are the NFLPA to hold the NFL honest when it comes to this type of a situation. Nick Estrom says, haven't been able to listen to today's or Friday's episodes yet due to moving and having our second child this morning. Congratulations on that. Hopefully going to listen this evening and catch up. Going to start the second kid off right with some PFT and PFTPM. Thank you, Nick Estrom, and congratulations on your second child. Panthers Austria asks, do you like Dave Gettleman's resume so far? I mean, look, I don't think his resume is horrendous. I don't think it's anything to scoff at. I think there are far worse resumes out there. But this speaks to the criticism that I have generally as it relates to the Giants organization. There is an arrogance there that just oozes from the top down and out of the organization. And a lot of it is directed at the Jets. A lot of it is directed at media. A lot of it is directed at fans. There's just kind of this snooty attitude as it relates to the Giants. And look, they've won plenty of Super Bowls. They've won four of them. And I remember when I was a kid and they weren't very good, I remember thinking that well, the Giants stink. And they went through a stretch where they did stink. And for people who became fans of the NFL in the 70s post-merger, I think there were a lot of kids who just kind of looked at the Giants and thought they're not very good. Now, they had the history before that where they were good, and and uh, they ultimately in the 80s became a very good team again. But there is, whether they're good or bad, there's just this attitude. And it's coming from Dave Gettleman, who is kind of steeped in that whole Giants approach. And something Chris Sims said today that relates to the the ascension of Daniel Jones up the draft boards, although anyone who, who does this for a living knows that no one really climbs or falls on the draft board, it's the media catching up to what people already think. Sims thinks that someone with the Giants wants to throw out this idea of Daniel Jones at number six just to get people used to it so they don't freak out if that's the pick. And it would be amazing if Jones goes that high based upon Sims' opinion, which I trust, that Jones, although he's regarded as a guy who's really smart, may not have the physical abilities that some of these other quarterbacks have. And he's a big believer in Drew Locke. He's a big believer in Dwayne Haskins. And I agree with him on Dwayne Haskins. There's a highlight reel of all 50 of the touchdown passes this year from Dwayne Haskins. And it's incredible. It's incredible. And I think he he moves like an NFL quarterback. Now, will he, will he play that way at the next level? 
that question can be applied to anyone who is entering the NFL. But what, what Haskins does, pocket passer with the mobility to do what's needed to buy time. He's not a guy who's going to take off and run the ball, but he's a guy who can make things happen behind the line of scrimmage, and he can move laterally like Ben Roethlisberger does to buy time and make the throws he needs to make. So, look, I'm fine with Dave Gettleman's resume. I'm not fine with this attitude that, hey, you little peons out there who may feel inclined to question this, you don't know what you don't know, so just be quiet and let the big boys do it. Fine, do it. Do it. Improve the roster. And create the impression that you have a plan that is being executed according to that plan. Right now, they either don't have a plan or they don't know how to execute the plan. That's the perception. And it's on the Giants to change people's minds about that. At Sean Alvishauer, doesn't Josh Rosen's trade value decrease immediately if Arizona fails to trade him prior to selecting Kyler Murray? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. The trade value is there because you have multiple teams that want him. That's where your value comes from. Now, remember... I'm a big believer in the ultimate trade leverage being, screw it, we'll just keep him. And that's why I think the Giants got a lot more from Odell Beckham than the Steelers got for Antonio Brown. Because the Giants were able to sell, screw it, we'll just keep him. The Steelers weren't able to sell that. I still think that the Cardinals can sell, screw it, we'll just keep him. We've paid him more than $11 million. He's due to make $6 million over the next three years. Screw it, we'll just keep him. He's one hell of a backup quarterback, and he's one hell of an insurance policy in the event that Kyler Murray ends up being not the guy that we think he's going to be. So I don't think the leverage goes down. I really don't. I think they can draft Kyler Murray and then trade Josh Rosen or not trade Josh Rosen. And frankly, I think they should keep Josh Rosen. I know Sims disagrees with me. He thinks there'll be an issue in the locker room. Well, as long as Kyler Murray's the guy, I don't think there'll be an issue. And if Rosen ends up better than Kyler Murray then play Kyler Murray. It's that simple. It's a meritocracy. Make an objective and fair judgment. Don't make decisions based upon who was drafted where or how much this guy or that guy got paid. Pay, play the best guys. And if if Murray earns it, it's him. If Rosen earns it, it's him. That was one of the things that got the Baker Mayfield relationship with Hugh Jackson off the rails last year because Hugh Jackson artificially went with Tyrod Taylor, even though Baker Mayfield apparently was the much better option, as his play indicated. And Tyler Fornes agrees with me. Rosen's contract is cheap for a backup quarterback. I don't think it lessens his value at all, especially if multiple teams are bidding for him. All I had to do was read Tyler's response, and I could have saved everybody a couple of minutes. Matt and Beantown, your thoughts on Gruden and Mayhawk sending all their scouts home this week before the draft. Look, I said this on PFT Live. Let me just summarize. I think it is a desperate move by guys who are feeling the heat. And primarily, it's Gruden who's feeling the heat. Because how do you not trust people who are working for you? And if you don't trust them, why are you sending them home a week before the draft? Why were they there to influence the information on which you are basing your draft board? Why didn't you fire them a long time ago? And I ultimately said to Sims today on PFT Live, I think that John Gruden should have fired Reggie McKenzie the moment that Gruden walked through the door, but I think Gruden wanted to be able to blame stuff on Reggie McKenzie if it all went sideways last year, which it did. And I think Gruden is always going to want to have a fall guy around. And I think Gruden's fall guy is now Mayock. Don't mess it up, Gruden said to Mayock, although he surely didn't say mess. And I think this 
this impulsive reaction. And the logic is very simple. We're firing these guys anyway. Why do we want to have them around? Well, why do you have guys around, number one, that you don't trust, and number two, that are in a position to violate the trust in a way that compromises your, your draft strategy? Look at teams like the Patriots. Do you think any of the area scouts know what the hell Bill Belichick's going to do? They are there to gather information, provide reports. And if you don't trust their ability to keep a secret, why in the hell did you trust their work that became the basis, in large part, for your draft board? Why are you trusting that? The whole thing is weird to me. And also, you do create an incentive. When you disrespect them like this, you create an incentive for them to talk. Because number one, they know they're getting fired. Number two, they're not in the building this week. So they're sitting around. They're susceptible to, you know, whatever information may or may not um, make its way out of their uh, their lips to the ears of reporters who would love to, to post uh, anything that they may be able to pick up that gives them an edge as to what the Raiders are going to do. All right. On tour forever, what would shock you the most at this year's draft? The Giants not taking a quarterback. The Cardinals not taking Kyler Murray. The Patriots taking a quarterback or something else. I think what would shock me the most at this point is the Cardinals not taking Kyler Murray. Maybe they won't, but that would shock me the most of those options. It wouldn't shock me if the Giants don't take a quarterback, and it wouldn't shock me if the Patriots do. But... Cardinals not taking Murray would shock me the most. Now, I guess something else would be the winner because I could come up with something really crazy that would shock me, right? The Raiders taking a kicker with the fourth overall pick and a punter with their next first round pick. That would shock me. But of the options laid out, Giants not taking quarterback, Cardinals not taking Kyler Murray, or the Patriots taking a quarterback, I'd say the Cardinals not taking Murray. On tour forever, what do you think the actual value is for Josh Rosen on the open market? He's on a relatively cheap rookie deal, which is key for teams looking to maximize their playoff window. Look, I I, I know that Peter King reported a few weeks ago that the Cardinals are looking at only a third-round pick for, for Josh Rosen. And earlier today in Football Morning in America, Peter made the case of a third-round pick for Josh Rosen. I put a lot of stock in the Joel Klatt report from a few weeks back when he said that three teams were highly interested in Josh Rosen, the Chargers, the Giants, and the Patriots, and that a second-round pick's on the table, and the Cardinals are holding out for a first-round pick. I believe that because, number one, Joel Klatt isn't a guy who regularly reports NFL information like that. Number two, he's very definitive about it and detailed and specific about it. Number three, I think it doesn't take many leaps to conclude that Klatt got that from Rosen or someone close enough to Rosen to know what's going on. Because Klatt's a college football guy with Fox, based in L.A., very easy to connect those dots and come to the conclusion that Klatt is getting that not from the Cardinals, but from Rosen. And that Rosen knows enough about what's going on. They've clued him in enough that he's able to provide that kind of information. And that's why Klatt was so sure about it. And that's why I think the Cardinals will get at least a second round pick if they do the deal. Another one from Montour Forever. Saw that Charlie Ebersol finally broke his silence last week and had an interview with CBS Sports. Did you read it and did you think he came off as sincere? Now, I didn't see any comments to CBS Sports. I saw comments to Sports Business Journal, John Orand of Sports Business Journal. And I here was my read on the, the interview that, that was done with Sports Business Journal. I think that Charlie Ebersol was given the opportunity to explain himself and he wasn't aggressively pushed on any of the details 
of his explanation, because I think there's some logical flaws there. The, the idea that people have conspiracy theories, but it basically came down to a difference in vision between the founders of the league and Tom Dundon. I, I think that there's more than that. I think that it was a basic in, situation where there wasn't enough money. And how did we get to the point where you went forward with a league that didn't have enough money in the bank to get through a season? And how do you bridge the gap between commitments from investors who ultimately couldn't or wouldn't follow through on those commitments and actual cash in hand? And what did you say to people to get them to do business with you for multiple years, or at least under the impression they'd be doing business for multiple years when you didn't have the cash in hand to get through a full season? Putting it another way, how many employees, how many players, and how many partners whether it's people who owned the stadiums where they played or anyone else who was incurring expense with the understanding they were going to get that money back, how many of those people were under the correct impression that the money wasn't in the bank to get through a full season? And how many of those people had been led to believe otherwise? That, that I think, had to be the gist of this. And I, I, I didn't sense that he was pressed on that point the way he could have been or the way he should have been. All right, Valley Man 12, when was the last time that news, football or otherwise, left you completely shocked? Man, completely shocked? Nothing about football has left me completely shocked. I, we were drafting all-time best draft moments earlier today on PFT Live, and I, I, I remember my reaction to the whole Laramie Tunsil thing, like what the hell is going on with this Laramie Tunsil stuff with the gas mask? That That left me shocked. Aaron Hernandez, that left me shocked. That was from 2013. My God, it's almost been six years ago. I'll leave any commentary about news beyond the world of football that left me shocked or that leaves me shocked or that leaves me perplexed or that leaves me believing not that we are two different countries living within the boundaries of one country, but that we are two different planets living in within the boundaries of one country based upon a, a fairly lengthy document that recently was published that seems to make certain facts abundantly clear and that there is a large segment of the country that refuses to even acknowledge, even begin to acknowledge what the contents of that document are and that believes that those contents are completely opposite of what they actually are. That That's a pretty shocking outcome. And uh, it, it's shocking to me that more people aren't shocked by where we are right now. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Mike likes dirt. If Macy was an NFL player, who would she be? Ooh, that's a good one. She'd be, she, she, here's the thing. I, I, I think she's like Troy Polamalu because when she gets all shaggy and her hair grows out, she like takes on this persona where she's just like, you know, she's just like a, she's like very intimidating. And when you clip her hair, she's got a different vibe altogether. So when she gets that long, shaggy hair, that's when she, she's like, she's majestic and regal and, and stately and, 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 and more intimidating. And then, and then uh, we take her to the groomer and she gets that, that short poodle cut. She hasn't had the full blown poodle cut with, you know, like the big boofy ball on top of her head and then shaved all over. But the last time she got trimmed, she like all of a sudden was not nearly as intimidating. So I guess Troy Polamalu and she can move like Polamalu. My God. When we're outside and she's got something that she thinks she shouldn't have, that is when she will run from me and I have no chance of catching her. I have to just wear her out. I have to keep trying to chase her so she keeps sprinting from me. See, she doesn't budget her energy very well. 
So I will keep prompting her to take off. And then all I have to do is walk up to her and she takes, she sprints away. So I'll walk over to her again and she sprints away. And eventually she's got nothing left and I can get it from her. But usually by then, if it's a stick or a chunk of mulch or something, it's long gone anyway. It's been ingested. But when she has something that she thinks she should not have, she'll do it with things that we give her. That's what, like, it's like dogs can be really smart, but they can also be really dumb. Like if you give her something and she takes off with it, she will run from you. It's like, I gave it to you. What are you doing? So, so it's kind of that, that Troy Polamalu Tasmanian devil broken field runner. I remember suggesting back in the 2005 Super Bowl run that they should just let Troy Polamalu return kicks because anytime he got the ball in his hands, it was just chaos, but he always was effective. So I think she reminds me of Troy Polamalu when she has something she shouldn't have. She reminds me of Troy Polamalu with the football. You know, I thought that was going to be a mess, but I think it ultimately makes sense. Colonel Kevin, if the Cardinals draft Kyler Murray and try to keep Josh Rosen, how does Rosen not immediately demand a ticket out of town? Well, he can demand whatever he wants, but He's under contract for three more years. And when he said last week, if they keep me, I need to prove them right. If they trade me, I need to prove them wrong. The middle ground is if they keep me and bench me, I have to earn the starting job. That's what he should do at that point. And if he doesn't, he's got three more years and he can be Jimmy Garoppolo. And at some point, you know, if he doesn't get traded now, that's the thing. If they keep him now, they're going to trade him at some point. He's either going to be in the right place to play if Kyler Murray isn't as great as he's supposed to be, or if he is that great, then they'll trade him. So maybe you just accept the fact that that you you are the backup for now and you hope for the best at some point down the road. Whether it's starting for the Cardinals if Murray's a bust or getting traded later. At Ricardo Hines, I remember everyone taking Josh Allen and Sam Darnold in 2018 mock drafts first. Overall, up until you predicted Baker Mayfield going to the Brown, what's your best guess for top quarterbacks this year? And I, I didn't really look here. Here's what happened. As we got close to the draft, I think it was Dan Patrick. He didn't get the credit for this. Dan Patrick was the one who put it out there that he was hearing Baker Mayfield. And then Shefty put it out there and Shefty got all the credit for it. But Dan was the first one talking about the Browns thinking about Baker Mayfield. And I just I believed it based upon some other stuff I was hearing. But Patrick was the one who had it out there first. And yeah, Josh Allen and Darnold were the guys who were mentioned. And and frankly, when the Jets moved up to number three, the thinking was the Jets wanted Mayfield at three. Now, maybe it's because they thought Allen and or Darnold would be gone. But when you make that move six weeks before the draft up to number three, you have to be ready for the number three quarterback on your board. And they were. They were fine with that. But I remember hearing close to the draft, they wanted Mayfield. And maybe that's what got me susceptible to thinking the Browns wanted Mayfield. But it was this week, it was like Tuesday, when it really started to crystallize that the Browns wanted Mayfield. Because there was talk for a long time Josh Allen was going to be the first guy taken in the 2018 draft. 70 kilos, Mike, if the Cardinals really pass on Kyler Murray at one, isn't that like an industry-wide version of Rappaport's AB to the Bills report? There's been widespread reports of an absolute lock for week nows weeks now wouldn't that would that reveal anything about the state of insiders today yes and no look here's you know we try to read the tea leaves and there have been reports that murray is the guy and why would you put out there that murray is the guy and not push back against it until right before the draft if you're the cardinals why would you do that now look i know that there are some reports now pushing back against murray being number one overall but like i said if he goes to the draft 
and he's not the first overall pick, something's wrong here. Something's wrong with this picture because if he's not going to be the first overall pack pick, he needs to not go to the draft. And if he's going to the draft knowing he's not going to be the first overall pick, his agent needs to start leaking to people credibly, we've been told that we're not going to be the first overall pick. So you change the expectations of the media and the fans. So it's not a huge embarrassment for Kyler Murray if and when Murray goes to the draft and he's not the first overall pick. So either, so let me amend what I said earlier. Either Murray doesn't go to the draft and then that's the clue he's not going to be the first overall pick or multiple reports begin to emerge from credible reporters with an established track record of being right in these situations that Murray will not be the first overall pick. Because if I'm Eric Burkhart, I, I can't have both Murray show up and word not be out there firmly entrenched that he's not going to be the first overall pick because that's going to be too embarrassing to my client. It's not the way I want my client to enter the National Football League. At the Real Forno with the AAF's filing of Chapter 7 bankruptcy, does this give them an out to not pay their creditors? No. Well, potentially it doesn't. What happens is their assets will be used to pay their creditors, but for the difference... The creditors may have potential legal theories against the people who incurred those debts, knowing that the money was never going to be there to pay those debts. That's where fraud comes into play. So it, it's not it's not going to be an easy legal burden to overcome, but that corporate firm can be pierced back to the founders, back to the people who claimed that the money was going to be there in these dealings with the people who incurred the, the uh, financial debts of their own that are not going to be satisfied. Sean Alvishire of the teams drafting in the top 10. Don't you think John Elway has the most pressure to get it right? I think he definitely does, especially if he's thinking about a quarterback. Absolutely. Absolutely. At the real Forno after the draft, where do you think Frank Clark ends up? I really don't know at this point. I would be very concerned if I'm the Chiefs. I don't know where he's going to go. Um, and I'd be concerned if I'm the Chiefs because of this history of guys who have had these allegations. And I know for Clark it's four years ago, but I don't want that extra thing to be thrown on top of what's already not quite an epidemic with the Chiefs, but it's enough that it's a concern. Skull Mitzel, if the Cardinals don't draft Murray, where do you think he ends up? Well, I, I think that if they don't draft Murray, I think it's more likely they trade out of the spot than draft someone else, right? Why would you leave him on the board when there are going to be teams out there that say, hey, we need this guy. We want this guy. We've got to have this guy. This guy could be the next big thing. Let's trade up and get him. And I think if they leave him on the board at number two, that's where the 49ers trade down. I think that's what happens. If he's on the board at two, the 49ers trade down with someone who comes up and gets Kyler Murray. And will it be the Raiders? I don't know. Would it be the Giants? I don't know. But I think if he's passed on at number one and that pick isn't traded, then I think the 49ers are open for business at number two. And then if they would pick someone and not pick Kyler Murray and let him pass through to number three, then then that, that's when I think the Jets definitely find whoever wants Kyler Murray the most, because you're trading Murray at that point, not the third overall pick. The Jets would find whoever wants him the most and basically hold an auction. Favorite part of draft week, question from at the real Forno, the first round without question, that three hours flies by and it's just fun and you're, you're ready for anything and, and it's dizzying because the picks are coming every 10 minutes or so and we write a post on every pick and it's a rotation and I do like one out every five and I'm making phone calls and I'm watching Twitter and I'm trying to figure out what's going on and uh, you know, what, where's the next surprise going to come from and then a trade gets done and what were the terms and 
What does it mean for others on the team if a trade is done? What does it mean for others on the team if a pick that is a surprise is made? A team that has a quarterback like the Chiefs, when they have Alex Smith, they trade up to get Patrick Mahomes. What does that mean for Smith? There's a lot of onion layer peeling to happen on that first night of the draft, and that's just a lot of fun. It's it's one of those nights where when it's over, I don't want to go to bed. I want to stay up for a few more hours and, and keep working and thinking and cranking, and, and I look forward to the first round more than anything. And the thing I like the least about draft week you get past round four on Saturday. Once it gets into round five, I just glaze over. I just don't care. And I find it hard to find anyone who really cares, other than the people who are paid to broadcast it. At the Real Forno, if Disney or Amazon get the streaming rights for Sunday Ticket, how do you see the format playing out? Here's what I think is going to happen. I think DirecTV is going to keep the satellite rights, and I think somebody else is going to buy the streaming. It's going to be that simple. Whether it's ESPN Plus or Amazon or Netflix, somebody's going to have the streaming rights, but I still think... For all those people out there who don't have high-speed internet access, and there are millions who don't, they have satellite dishes, they have DirecTV, and you can't take away in one fell swoop from DirecTV. You can, but it becomes hard for the NFL and it becomes hard for DirecTV to have that satellite experience disappear out of the blue. It's something that people have to really get their arms around for several years ahead of time because so many people who have DirecTV have it because of Sunday Ticket. So let Satellite TV live with the Sunday Ticket and let streaming have its own Sunday Ticket offering. Because I don't think DirecTV ever maximized the streaming the way that it could or should. Didn't want to undermine the satellite dish. So do both. DirecTV Satellite, somebody else streaming. To me, that makes the most sense. All right, I should probably wrap this up. Been about an hour. If I didn't answer your question today, come back tomorrow. We'll try to do one of these every day this week. I don't know about Thursday. Thursday, I'm taking under advisement. We'll do Monday. We'll do Tuesday. We'll do Wednesday. We'll see about Thursday, and we'll see about Friday because the draft starts, what, 8 o'clock on Thursday night. Maybe we'll do one on Thursday. Friday, like, you're going to be watching the draft at the time you would otherwise be listening to PFTPM. So maybe that's the compromise. We'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday instead of Friday. For now, though, count on Tuesday. DK Metcalf, the Mississippi receiver, will be interviewed during the Tuesday edition of PFTPM. And uh, PFT Live tomorrow, Peter King is going to be with me. Chris Sims on assignment, not taking the day off. He's on assignment in Miami. It sounds very fancy and important when you say it that way. But then Sims will be with me Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday on PFT Live One of those days we'll have Big Cat as well, probably Wednesday. So a full week on PFT Live, a full week at ProFootballTalk.com, and a full week almost on PFT PM. Thanks for your time as always, and we will talk again very soon. You can find the PFT PM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFT PM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.